like to personally welcome you to our online church. If you're looking for ways to stay connected, you can visit our website, mountolivephc.com, for ways to stay connected, such as our Connect tab. You can fill out a form, and someone will be in contact with you. Not only can you stay connected on our website, but you also have the option to give online. Thanks so much for worshiping with us. One of my all-time favorite scriptures, and you've probably heard me say it a thousand times, comes from Hebrews, and it says, we can go boldly before the throne of God. Boldly before the throne of God, meaning that there used to be a veil because of my sin, my weaknesses, my inadequacies, my shortcomings kept me from all that is holy and right and just and perfect about God. And no matter how hard I tried, no matter how how much I worked towards perfect, it just was never going to measure up. My righteousness was as filthy rags. You can live a life that others might would be proud of and, and think was admirable, but compared to the holiness of God, it would never add up. Never add up. But my God was so rich in love and so rich in mercy and rich in compassion that he decided that he would choose me and love me when my sin sick couldn't reach him he sent his son to reach me he sent his son to reach me and when he came he died as me and the veil was torn the separation was obliterated so that I could come boldly before the throne room of God and know him and love him and walk with him it's scandalous it doesn't make sense it's illogical but it's the love of God and I might sound like a broken record but that truth changed my life and I'll never stop proclaiming it I'll never stop praising him for it because it's unfathomable to me that the God of the universe would choose to love me and give me access to his presence. You might be listening in and you're like, his presence is heaven. What does that mean? You might be saying, better is one day in his courts than thousands elsewhere. What does that mean? It means that if you give God your yes, it unlocks the goodness of getting to know him and getting to know who he created you to be. I love Jesus, but that's not impressive. What's impressive is that he loves me. He loves me, and guess what? He loves you too. He is crazy about you. There's nothing you could do that could change how he feels about you this this day wherever you are he loves you you will not change his mind you will not sway him otherwise he loves you he loves you he wants to walk with you so before we break the bread of his word today I'm gonna pray I'm gonna ask that he would be in the midst that he would speak to the heart of his people that he 
so loves. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful for your goodness, and we thank you that you love us. And I just pray, God, that right now in these next few moments, God, that as we unlock, Lord, the truths of your word, God, that it would just stir up something on the inside of us, God. And I just pray, Lord, that we would just see your love for us in your word, and God, that it would give us direction it would give us comfort. It would give us peace, God. Lord, whatever we are hungering for today, God, I just pray that your word would just begin to fill those places, God, in us that are in need of your truth. God, I pray that she would be, Lord, in the midst, that she would be, Lord, the voice, God. I pray that you would use me and hide me behind the cross, that I might point strictly and solely to who you are. I bless you and I honor you. And I thank you that you're using me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm really excited to share with you what, what God has given me today. I feel like lately I was sharing with my, with my mama earlier that God has called me back to the basics lately. It feels like he's um, reintroducing me to some of the foundational and core principles of faith. And, um, you know, that can be tough sometimes because as a Christian, especially if you're maybe like me, I grew up in church, you know, and I, I know the church lingo. I know how church goes. And you can think that you know the basics sometimes. You can think that you understand the basics, but then... If you get along with God long enough or if you're, you know, if he, if you're even just maybe mind your own business sometimes, God will come and just wreck you on some of the things that maybe you thought you knew. And he shows you some, some different things. And so today, I feel like um, God has given me an assignment of really being someone to remind us of some of the basic principles. So more than it is maybe a message, it might just be a tap on the shoulder and a reminder to us of, of what God says. There's a song that, you know, when I was preparing this message, that really came to mind. And um, it's by House Fires. And there's a line in this song, it talks about the presence of God. And it says, I will rest in your promises my confidence is your faithfulness. Such a beautiful line. I just love, I love to hear it, you know, just on the melody of, of such, you know, worship setting. And it's a great song in that line. It just resonates. I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithfulness. You know, but I began to think about that lyric, that one lyric. And I began to realize that that word, rest, I just kept getting hung up on that word rest. I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithfulness. And I began to realize that the promises of God are many. And the Bible is full of things that God has declared over generations and generations of his people. And he has proclaimed to any believer that comes to know him. In fact, our very salvation is manifested because of a promise of God that he would forgive our sins through Christ Jesus. Promises are a huge component of our interactions with God. But, you know, as I was singing that lyric, and that lyric was, was in my head, and I wanted to be, like, in my little sweet worship moment and just worship that with that song, I realized that word rest. 
in the promises of God, sometimes I don't rest in the promises. In fact, sometimes I'm restless with the promises of God. I think that oftentimes, you know, when God's promises, they sound, you know, they sound beautiful and they sound full of hope. But sometimes within myself, I intrude on the promises of God with my what ifs or my I know God but statements. God, I know your word says this, but have you seen my life? God, I know your word says this, but what if this happens? And although I desire to rest in the promises of God, I find myself being restless. I find myself full of worry sometimes and full of anxiety and and full of doubt sometimes as though I want to rest in the promises. I want to just sleep and not let those things in my life get to me. I want to just rest and not let the troubles that are keeping me up at night Uh, get into me and invade my mind and invade my habits and my relationships. But sometimes I find that I impose all my anxieties upon the promises of God. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians that says this, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is, that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. This scripture really spoke to me because I began to realize that my rest in the promises of God doesn't depend upon my understanding of those promises. Those promises don't find their yes in Kelly Those promises find their yes in God. But you see, the scripture is twofold. It says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. See, my job isn't to find the yes. My job isn't to find the access or the open door or to make sense of the promise or to plan out how the promise is going to come to pass. That's not my job. All God's promises find their yes in him. Everything that the promises need to be fulfilled or found in who God is. My job is to say amen. That word amen is literally belief wrapped in a word. When we say amen, we're saying let it be so. Let it be so in my life, God. In every part of me, God, I submit my amen to you. I submit my belief to you. God says yes. We say amen. We utter our amen to God. And so, as I said earlier today, I feel like more than a messenger, I'm just here to remind you that all God's promises are yes and amen. And in case maybe you're like me and find yourself being in a state of a lack of rest, I'm here to remind you that your job isn't to to make that promise happen. Your job is to say amen and to let your life be an amen for those promises. And so, as I was saying, you know, the idea of promises Uh, has really been stirring my spirit. A couple weeks ago, I had a chance to speak 
And again, I felt so drawn to God's promises and, and, you know, our interaction with God. And as he, you know, declares those promises over us, what's our role in that? You know, what are we to do with the promises of God? You know, if God gives these declarations over us, what's my job in that? What am I to do with the promises of God? And I was, of course, drawn to Abraham. Abraham embodies promise. He, he embodies promise where there seemed like there should be no promise. You know, sometimes we use the word promise as potential. There's a lot of promise in you. There's a lot of, you know, promise in your situation. But Abraham's situation doesn't look very promising. Yet God chooses him to make a covenant with. And I'm here today to remind you that God is a covenant God. And he desires to make covenant with you. He desires to, un- to unleash upon you his promises of all the things he has for your life. He wants to fulfill those within you, just as he did with Abraham. And so that's who we're going to be talking about today is Abraham and, and how God made a covenant with him and Abraham's role in that. So we're going to start with Genesis chapter 15, but before we go there, I'm going to kind of um, paint the backdrop here of Abraham's situation. Um, at this point, known as Abram, before he was Abraham. Uh, in chapter 12, it says this. I'm just going to read this briefly. Starting with verse 1, it says, The Lord has said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Talk about a promise. All the families on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham, Abram. Abram, I'm going to use you. I'm going to work through you, and you're going to be so blessed. And not only are you going to be blessed, but you're so blessed, other people will be blessed because of you. And not just people right now. I'm talking about eons, generations of people are blessed because of you, Abram. I'm going to use you. That sounds great, right? Who wouldn't want a promise like that, that all these generations, all the families upon earth will be blessed because of this man, the interesting thing was that when Abram, Abraham got this promise, he was 75 years old. And probably even more puzzling to him was that he was without a child at 75 years old. And yet God appears to him, and the first thing that God says is, I want you to leave your country. I'm going to use you. I'm going to bless you. And families on earth will be blessed through you. The thing about God is that whenever God is present in a situation, his promises are always present too. You can expect where you find God, you can expect to find his promises. In fact, there's, I mean, there's so many stories in the Bible where the presence of God or when God is present in the midst of someone, he's put his hand upon something, his promises are right there with it. You can think about Moses, probably as far as someone would think as the ideal man to go back to Egypt and deliver God's people, but God appeared to him in a burning bush, declaring promises over him. 
You know, I think about the story of Gideon hiding among, just in the wheat, you know, just trying to survive, just trying to make it. And God says, I don't want you just to survive. You're going to lead an army. I'm going to be with you. This is a promise that I'm making unto you. When God is present, so are his promises. So I'm here to tell you today, I don't know where you are, where you live, who your family is, but God is here today and he wants to make a covenant with you. He wants to make a promise in your life. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what your background is like. God is ready for you to say yes, and he will present himself to you. And guess what? When you say yes to God, he brings his promises with him. That's who he is. You know, I think about maybe when you have those those relatives maybe who come to visit, you know, and, and they're, you know, maybe you just say yes to one relative. They're like, okay, let me go get everybody. And just hordes of people start piling in your house. Those are God's promises. Like when you say God, yes to God, God's like, okay, well, this is what I have for you. I'm going to bring this on in. And oh, yeah, I know that this is what I have for you. Plans to prosper, to give you hope for a future. Yeah, that's what I have for you. And oh, yeah, you know what? You thought that you didn't come from anything, but I'm going to make you a ruler of many. That's what I'm going to bring with me. When God shows up, he brings his promises with him. And so if you have made the decision, the best decision to say yes to God, you've also said yes to in giving yourself, or God's given access to his promises for you. That's who he is. He's a generous, loving God who brings his promises with him. And this amazing book called the Bible is full of promises. Full of who God says that you are and full, of, and full of plans that God has for you. Where God is present, so are his promises. And that was exactly the case for Abraham. When God appeared, God brought a promise with him. You know, I think about Jesus. The, the first thing Jesus says to his disciples is, follow me. Here's a promise. I'll make you fishers of men. Instantly a promise was given. You know, I think about the way God used Mary. You know, an angel appeared to Mary and said, you know, blessed and highly favored are you. You know, God's going to use you to bring the Savior of the world into this, into this sad and broken earth. There's a promise. God brings his promises with him. And so here Abraham is in chapter 12. He's been given a promise of God. And what I love about God is from chapters 12 to 13 to 14 to 15, he's constantly reminding Abraham of those promises. He doesn't let him forget him. He's like, Abraham or Abram, you see the dust? So will your descendants be. Abram, you're going to seize this land. I'm going to give it to you, and it will be your descendants. I'm going to bless you, Abram. I'm going to be with you, Abram. I'm going to be with your descendants, Abram. I'm going to be with you. God was constantly reminding him of the promises. When we walk with God, he's going to encourage us. He's going to walk with us. He's not just going to give us a promise and leave us stranded. He's going to walk it out with us. He's going to be there. And that's exactly how it was for Abraham. God had plans for him. He had promises for him. And so from chapter 12, God tells him to leave. And and Abraham begins to travel. And, you know, I encourage you. I wish we had more time to unpack all of those chapters. But um, I think that you, if you have time, you should maybe check out um, that nephew of his named Lot. He's an interesting character. Um, A lot kind of happens there. Uh, Particularly in chapter 14, a a battle occurs or a war between kings. And Abraham's nephew Lot is captured and taken hostage during this battle. And Abraham, loving his nephew, decides to bring up his army. And he fights, fights these kings and he wins his nephew back. So he is just 
you know, not only has God declared promises over him, but he's also winning battles and taking spoils. You know, he's really in this mountaintop moment. And when chapter 15 begins, just to kind of give you this backdrop, when chapter 15 begins, Abraham has just won the victory in this battle. Yet the first verse of chapter 15 is so interesting to me. Like, you think that if in chapter 14, Abraham wins the battle, in chapter 15, he's going to be celebrating. Like, like I did it. I'm cool. But listen to what cha- the, first, the first verse in chapter 15 says. It begins like this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Verse 2, but Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. In verse 6, and he believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteous. The interesting thing to me is that if Abraham had won a battle in chapter 14, if obviously things were, were going good for him, why did God say to him, The very first verse of chapter 15, fear not, Abram. I think that God, being who he is, being a covenant God, a God who longs to have relationship with us, a God who longs to bind himself to us. See, he's a God who knows us better than anybody knows us. And when everyone else would think we should be celebrating over a mountaintop victory, God sees the inward parts of my heart and knows what my fears are. See, perhaps Abram, after just Defeating these kings was feeling vulnerable for his safety. Maybe he was afraid that they would come for him after fighting in such a way. That was a surface fear. But maybe it was another fear of feeling inadequate, like he wasn't enough. And he says to God, God, why have I have no children? I have no offspring. God, you said that you were going to make the descendants upon the earth, my descendants like the dust. God, you said that you were going to have a blessing upon my life, and you're going to bless families through me. But, God, how could you use me? I don't even have a kid. I can't even give my wife a son, God. Why would you want to use me? How is this going to happen, God? He felt inadequate, perhaps. Perhaps he felt vulnerable. But God knew his heart. And when no one else did, God knew what his fears were. And God called him by name. Fear not, Abram. For God to call his name, indicating he was a friend of Abraham's, to indicate that he cared for Abraham, that he took time to console his fears. That's the kind of God he is. He sees us, and he calls us by name. I don't know where you are today and and maybe what your situation is like, but I think when it comes to the promises of God, we have to stop striving to achieve them on our own. 
we have to stop looking around at our situation and our own inadequacies and our own insecurities and try to make God's promises come to pass within ourselves. You see, here Abraham is obviously contemplating his situation and, and contemplating on what God has said to him. And he's the father of faith. And perhaps, you know, it wasn't a lack of faith, but it's God, I just don't understand how this is going to happen. God, I'm trying to put two and two together, but you said you're going to make me the father of nations, but I don't even have one kid and I'm 75 years old. How is this going to be? How is this going to happen? You know, and, and immediately Abraham's mind goes to his, his heir, which is Eleazar, who was a, a servant in his house. God, I don't have a son to leave my things to. All, all I have is a servant who will get all that I have. Perhaps it's his line that you'll use. Perhaps it's him that you'll use, not really me, not my genes, not my blood, not what I really have to offer. Maybe you'll just use him. But God said, no, I'm giving you a son. I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying today, yes, you. Yes, you. I'm going to use you. Yeah, I know you don't have that, but yes, you. I know you don't seem to be in a place right now where you can see where this will come to pass, but yes, you. Not Eleazar, you, Abraham. I'm going to use you, and I know what I said, and I said what I meant. God honors his word, and if he said it, it will come to pass. We, can, we have to stop striving within ourselves to, to make promises happen that were never intended for us to make happen. God achieves the promises. God makes the promise successful, not within ourselves. We have to stop striving. You see, I think the issue with Abraham was he was looking around, and God was calling him to look up. The scripture says that God said, Abram, look at the stars. So as many as the stars are, if you can count them, that's what I have for you. You know, when I was talking with my, with my dad about this scripture, he said, do you think Abram, Abram was seeing stars or was he seeing suns? Because the thing is, if you spend time with God long enough, he'll take you away from perspectives that are just surface-level perspectives, and he'll elevate you to see things that he sees. God desires for you to get along with him and have the faith to see things the way that he sees them, to see yourself the way that he sees you. Abram saw himself perhaps as inadequate, unworthy, and insufficient. But God said, you're exactly who I want to use. It's not about what you have. It's about who I am. We have to stop looking at ourselves as I am not. How often do we look at our situations and the first thing we think is, I am not this. I'm certainly not good as that. And we have to start thinking about God's I am. God wants to show you who he is. He wants to reveal the promises that he has for you. But you have to stop striving to make them happen yourself. You got to stop looking around to solve the problem. And allow God to elevate your perspective to see things the way that he sees them. You know, verse 6 says that when God declared this over Abram, verse 6 is, is so powerful. And really, if you're looking for instruction today about what to do with the promises of God, it can be found in verse 6. Like, if you don't hear anything else, like if you're dozing off out there, maybe you're on your phone, verse 6 right now. This is your verse. This is key. It says this, so simple, but so powerful. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. 
Warren Rearsby calls verse 6 the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Abraham believed God. God encouraged Abraham. He showed him his promises, and all Abram did was believe, and God called him righteous. I'm saying, what I'm saying is Abram wasn't maybe the strongest. He wasn't the most holy. He wasn't the one with all the kids. He wasn't that young, sprightly man full of passion. But God said, I'm going to do this. And Abraham said, okay. And God said, I call you righteous for it because you believe me. Because you took me for my word. That's all you need. I'm here to tell you today, stop striving. Stop staying up at night wondering how it's going to come to pass. Stop, stop being alone in your head trying to make sense of the pieces that you know God's placed there. I'm telling you that if you would be so crazy as to believe that God will do it, that's all you need to be seen as righteous in his eyes. That's all you need. Abram believed God. That's it. He didn't go and make it happen. He didn't, you know, look around him and see. No, he just believed He's the father of faith. He's the one who, began, who, who was a part of peace and orchestrating the grandest redemption stories, the grandest stories of love. It began with his obedience. And really wasn't even obedience to a law. It was just a yes, okay. I'm sitting here and I'm inadequate, God. I, I don't see how you're going to make this happen. I'm 75 plus years and I don't have a kid. But you said that my descendants will be like the stars in the sky. So I say, okay, I believe you. And God called him righteous. I'm telling you that it's not a trick this morning. God's not trying to to mock you or trick you. He just wants your belief. He just wants your faith. That's all he's required of you today. I promise you, if you would give God your yes, if you would be so bold as to believe that his promises are yes, and you would give him your amen. I dare say that that's all he needs to show up and do the biggest things in your life. They're not far-fetched. You know, we, we often say reach for the stars for phrases and things that seem impossible, but that's exactly where God showed Abraham for what he wanted to do with his life. Be so bold as to think that nothing is impossible for God. Be so bold as to believe that all his promises find their yes in him. I love the way Paul puts it in Romans. He says this, starting with verse 13 through 14, it says this, Clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God. Again, not on anything Abraham did, but just on choosing God, choosing to walk with God. That comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. Verse 16, so the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. and We are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scripture mean, scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Verse 20, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger 
and in this he brought glory to God, he was fully convinced that God is able to do what he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. I'm here on assignment today to remind you that God's promises are yes and amen. And all you need to do is be fully convinced of that. I mean fully convinced. I mean that when we stand and sing boldly that I will rest in his promises. My confidence is your faithfulness. What if you believed it with your heart that no matter what it looks like right now, that God will show up and God's promises will not go out void, that he honors his word. He honors what he said. And if he said it, you believed it. What would happen if you were like Abraham and you were fully convinced of that? What would happen if no one would change your mind? That God can take the dead and bring it to life? What if God could take bones and make an army? And what if God can take seas and part them into highways? What would, you, what would happen if you were fully convinced of that fact? What would happen in your life? Abraham was righteous not because of anything he did. It was because of who he believed in. That's it. And I'm telling you today, wherever you are, I don't know your circumstance. I don't know what kind of situation you're in. But I'm telling you, if you would be fully convinced of God's word and his promises, that he could change your life. He could change your life. I'm passionate about this this morning because it's a basic principle. But I feel like God is calling us back to the basics to believe what he said, to live as we believe what he said. God's calling us to walk in faith, to believe. Abraham was righteous. Key word is right. He was made right, not because of what he did, but because of what he believed and who he believed in. I'm just reminding you today that your I am not is no match for his I am. It's no match for his I am. He takes dead things and brings them to life. He takes an old man who thought that his best days were behind him, and he makes them the father of nations and a, and a pivotal part, an integral part, and a huge story that includes me and you. That's what God does. That's who he is. When insecurity and uncertainty crowded the heart of Abraham, God reminded him of who he is. I love what God says to Abraham Here in verse 7, he says, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to possess. But he said, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half and let each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. I'm going to Um, Skip to verse 12. It says this. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, You know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve. And afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. Verse 17 says this. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, 
to your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates. So in this part here, Abraham, God has, has declared his promises over him. And, and the question that, that Abram asked, you know, is he says, well, God, how is this going to happen? You know, I don't think that maybe it was so much a, a, a question of disbelief. I think that at this point that Abraham had declared that he believed. We see that in verse 6, right? He believed God saw it as righteous. I think in this moment, Abraham was saying, well, God, just give me sign. You know, I want to commemorate this. God, you know, because my world and my realm, it doesn't look like this could happen, but I believe what you say. I want to see what you see. God, I see that. So God, I want to, I want to, I want to commemorate this, God. How is this going to happen? You know, and in this act, you know, God instructs him to, to take these seven animals and to kill them. And in this culture during Abraham's time, that was a common um, ritual for two parties to make a promise. So maybe in our day we have like legal contracts, you know, or for less maybe um, solemn, you know, treaties. We might shake hands, do a pinky promise, right? But in Abraham's day, there was a serious promise to be made. They would take seven animals and slaughter them, and then the two parties would walk in the midst of these pieces. That was how they made a promise, and so the scripture says here that as Abraham fell into a deep sleep, that God began to, to speak to him about this promise and how it will come to pass. And then verse 17 says that when the sun had gone down, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And it's interesting to me because if the, if the ritual was for the two parties, both the people coming into covenant, both the people making promises to walk between the pieces. Why wasn't Abraham walking through these pieces? Instead, God gives him this vision of, of fire going through these pieces, really just representative of God and who he is. And I believe what God was maybe saying to Abraham is, you can't keep your promises to me, but that's okay because I'm still going to keep my promises to you. God was binding himself to Abraham, knowing that maybe Abraham was just a man, just a vulnerable, inadequate man. But God said, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to bind myself to you. And no matter what, I'm going to keep my promise to you because I love you. I'm for you. I'm with you. He's a covenant God. I'm here to remind you today that he longs to make a covenant with you. And it's okay if you're human. And maybe sometimes you don't always keep up your side of the bargain. I mean, if you look at Abraham's story, he was the father of faith. But things weren't perfect right after this happened in his life. But he never wavered in his belief because his belief wasn't in Abraham. His trust wasn't in Abraham. His trust was in the God who promised him descendants more immeasurable than the stars. He's a God of covenant. And if he said it, believe it. If he said it, believe it. As simple as it sounds today, if he said it, believe it. Because he's a God of his word, and he will never let you down. He will never let you down. In that moment, God promised Abraham, and I love what he says, you know, after this vision, he says, 
to your offspring. You know, this version says, I give this lamb, but most versions say, I have given. It's already done. My word is as good as done. It will come to pass. All God's promises find their yes in him. And it's us that utter the amen to his glory. And as I'm coming to a close, I just want to remind you that he that began a good work in you will be faithful to finish it. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to finish it. If he said it, believe it. You have it written in the book of life, in the, in the, in the book of promises here. That if he said it, you can believe it. He's going to finish it. I don't know where you are today, but I'm telling you, he's going to finish it. I don't know what it looks like for you today, but he's going to finish it. He began it. He finishes what he starts. He doesn't give up. He doesn't lose focus. He doesn't take, get distracted. No, if he began it, he's going to finish it. And I believe God is calling us out of these worldly perspectives of his promises. And I believe he wants to elevate us to where he is to show us what he sees. He wants us to see what he sees about who we are, about our lives, about our influence, about our power that he's given us. I believe that's what God is calling us to today. And I think that it's a, a basic premise here within this message, but I honestly feel like I am just here to remind you that God's promises are yes and amen. I don't know who maybe needs that, that reminder today, but God's promises are yes and amen. And the best thing is you don't have to come up with the yes. You don't have to open the doors. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to strive to achieve the promise. God says, just believe, and I'm pleased. If you would just believe it, I'd be pleased. Abraham's story started with an openness to be in a relationship with God. It wasn't that he was perfect. It wasn't that he got it all right. It wasn't that he was the best candidate, the best father around. He had no experience being a father. The yes was in God. The amen is in us. Would you let it be so today? Would you let your life be in an amen? That wherever you go, Whatever you encounter, whoever you see, that your life would say amen. Let it be so, God. Let it be so. I trust you. I believe you, God. I'm tired of striving. I'm tired of trying to figure it out on my own, God. I just want to say amen today. Just let it be so. God, I don't want to figure it out myself, God. I just want to say amen. I believe it. If you said it, we believe it. If you said it, we believe it. I just want to ask that wherever you are, that you begin to declare that over yourself. It might start out in your mind. You might be thinking, I, I don't fully believe it. My life is in shambles. My situation's a mess. My heart's been broken. I'm so tired. I'm exhausted, God. But God says he who is faithful to begin a good work will finish it. You are God's masterpiece who he has made anew in Christ Jesus. 
and works that he planned long ago. God's not just showing up to your party. God's had plans for you for a long time. He just needs your yes today. So, God, right now we begin to declare, God, into our spirits, God, we encourage ourselves in the Lord today to say, if you said it, we believe it, God, and that we will rest in your promises, God. We rebuke, God, the spirit of fear, God, the spirit, God, of insecurity, God, Lord, those feelings of anxiety that show up, God, that crowd our minds, Lord, when we try to trust your promises, God. I rebuke the enemy's tactics, Lord, that would strive, Lord, to push us away from belief. And I say today we begin to live, Lord, as sons and daughters who believe in a God and his promises for us. God, we say yes to you. We begin to say we believe it, God. We believe it. Let it be so. God, amen and amen. Let it be so. So be it in our lives, God. If you said it, so be it. We thank you for your promises. And God, we begin to walk in them and in expectancy, God, of them. We thank you for that. God, I thank you that you that your love, God, comes, Lord, lavishly and generously. God, you give unto us. And God, when we can't always, Lord, keep our promises. God, you keep yours. And we thank you for that today. We bless your name, and we pray that you would help our unbelief, that we may walk in the fullness of living, Lord, and knowing you. Thank you for listening to this message. For more access to our worship experiences, visit us at Mount Olive Church, 610 Normal Street in Pembroke, North Carolina, or join us online via Facebook at Mount Olive PH Church. Thank you.